I'm back in the sweat box upstairs. Hell yeah. Sauna conditions. <laughs> but I have a giant Aperol spritz with me, so All right. everything's fine. Yeah, that makes it okay. Mm-hmm. I'm um going to be drier than most episodes. Oh. Because I've got to work tomorrow. Oh, that sucks. Going back to the education mines. Oh, man. You're going to dig us up some more educated children? Yeah, it's okay. It's It's kind of good, you know... I'm, I'll be teaching high school this year, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, they're less stupid. But on the downside is I have to, like, make more stuff because it's not like repeating last stupid. year's stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it'll be cool. Well, I have a stupid show that I've only seen, like, one episode of, but I want to tell you about it. Uh, Yeah, tell me about it. It's, it sounds stupid from your description. Well, I mean, the title is Fastest Car, and it's on Netflix. All right. Not usually my kind of thing, right? Yeah, that seems like a pretty straightforward premise, though. <laughs> Looks like Car you could just fast. look that up. But <laughs> So the premise is you have uh, four cars competing in like a really simple, I was going to say drag race, but like, you know, not that kind of drag race. Yeah. The boring a, kind. A literal drag race. <laughs> <laughs> is there a i know there's drag shows but there's not like drag races are there where you're in drag but you race that would be great but i mean the most famous like drag tv program is called drag race mm. so it's confusing RuPaul's. yeah this one oh, look at me cultured look at you <laughs> okay so the premise is you have four cars that are gonna race and they always pick three like home mechanics just like they totally built this car from scratch like fucking just what total Death you know traps? tinkering people yeah some of them look like it some of them make some terrifying noises and some of them like completely fucking fail at the the, the starting line just like oh it didn't work this is like <laughs> battle bots but you're in the battle bot like i mean they're actually i mean i've only seen one episode and previews for another one so i don't know they most of them seem okay like a lot of them go fast here's the thing here's the thing the fourth car is always a supercar and it's a super rich asshole who has it and they're always jerks and it's so <laughs> fucking funny yeah like the one i watched was this guy from miami and he was just like oh he was saying the most outrageous shit he was just like i think you choose to be poor <laughs> And I was like, what are you talking about? Was this like a white guy like, or like, uh, like he Latino? Was, oh, he was from Iran. He, oh, oh, yeah. He was from Iran because he talked about how his family got forced out in the 80s. And I was like, oh, okay. I know why. Yeah. Because <laughs> y'all were rich. It, it's really funny. Like that, that guy alone was worth that. I think it was like season two, episode one. I just jumped in whenever Kyle was watching he talks so much fucking shit right and he's just like the biggest doucher around just like and his, his job is like total scam artist he's like i made my first million at 23 because i invested in real estate i'm like all right tell me how you got that first chunk of money then you can't just start investing in real estate with zero money right yeah well he could have just lied his way into borrowing it you know they would I give guess. any money money to anybody back in the day yeah, he's just this huge fucking douchebag. He sells courses on, like, how to be an entrepreneur. And, like, it's, like, just the most... Like, I started chanting guillotine, like, two minutes into this guy's segment. <laughs> like, less than that. I was just like, guillotine, guillotine. Like, this, this guy's guy scum of the earth. Yeah. But pretty much every time the supercar guy is, one, 
just like that. Just total douche. Like they had this asshole from, oh, it was one of the suburbs around here. But, you know, of course they just said Dallas, but he was definitely like Like Lake Highlands or something. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't even like that nice, I would say. (laughs) Like, just I from like fucking I, I wasn't even McKinney or something. Yeah, some some bullshit suburb. No offense to bullshit suburbs. Like, yeah, <laughs> we have both lived in those. <laughs> but he was like this, you know, like the what do they call it? like the the fifty thousand dollar millionaires kind of thing. Like, and like when they revealed his car, Kyle's like, "That's not even that good of a car." Like, I can just tell you that right now. Like, that's not that fancy of a car. <laughs> yeah. But he was like super into working out, and uh, he had a katana and like <laughs> he just was this huge fucking weirdo um and, and it was insane but the best thing about the show so right you got the premise mm-hmm. three three normal people usually poor people they're like i'm just like a mechanic and i work out of my backyard or something like that yeah and then you have one rich douchebag um uh, almost every single time the rich douchebag loses <laughs> <laughs> that's really good it's so good. It's so good. Like the the one I watched, he came in third and just got absolutely smoked. Like, <laughs> like completely. The, the last guy, like, was there four? You said like three. There was four. So his like didn't start or something. His just he had one of those big. It's called a donk, which is a fun word I learned. It's like those big low riders, basically. Okay. And everyone like it's got a lot of you know if it gets to where it needs to go speed wise, it has so much momentum that it can be really fast. Yeah. But it's got to take off, right? And it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and the one that won was some fucking, like, Honda or something. That some guy just, like, like a souped fucking up Honda? ripped apart. Is yeah. Honda Supra yeah. or something? Hell yeah. Just a regular-ass Honda. I think it was, like, a Honda. Well, I don't know if it was a Honda Civic, but it was something really boring. And he just, like, took it apart, put it back together. And, <laughs> and like... The, there was a girl driving and everyone was like super sexist to her and oh, she ended yeah. up doing really fucking well she almost won she like it was like by a hair she was winning the whole time so yeah and then of course at the end the rich guy's like well i mean i'm not a driver you know like uh <gasps> i'm not a professional race car driver i'm like these people aren't either <laughs> i just showed up here to race on tv like <laughs> just doing my oh, best so yeah if you want to get angry about rich people and watch them lose, I think the only one that I know of, I haven't watched this, so this is secondhand. The only one that I know of that has won out of the supercars was like a Tesla. So like not even that high level of a supercar, but it does like suck to give an Elon bro any more oxygen. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, also apologies to our car head constituencies. I said Honda super, but that would be a Toyota. Um, oh, so, I mean, I bad. don't fucking know. <laughs> it sounded wrong after I said it, so I had to look it up. Um, you know, I don't know anything about cars. I just watched this to hate rich people. <laughs> Fuels the fire. Well, one day you won't have to worry about rich people. You won't have to worry about such, you know, such destructive imperialist forces on the earth like the United States. Uh, and maybe, maybe that will happen within this century. A prediction was made to this effect. Mm. Okay. Or a challenge. I don't really know how to read it, but um, <laughs> this is a little fun. Little uh, North Korea, uh, their foreign ministry this week vowed that that the country would annihilate the United States and saying that the U.S. would be terminated this century. Wow. So we don't have long to wait, comrades. We're uh, wow, Democratic we're so People's close. Republic of Korea is soon to free us from the shackles of imperialism <laughs> here. 
I didn't realize we were that close. Like, that's exciting developments. Yeah. Um, apparently, they were like celebrating their 70th anniversary of the armistice that ended the Korean War. And they, you know, gave a speech and they were like, fuck the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I really thought climate change was going to get us, but maybe it's North Korea. You know, it could just be an oblique reference. It's just like, you guys are on your way out. Like, oh, yeah. Like, we're not going to do it, but yeah. we see it coming. <laughs> right. They, oh, yeah, because it is conditional. It says, should the U.S. choose to offend our republic, we will annihilate them. <laughs> oh, okay, no. It said, uh, the Korean War in the last century marked the beginning of the downfall of the U.S. Now the 21st century would see the irrevocable termination of the U.S. Wow. Okay, so don't don't step. Our days are numbered. If we start getting froggy. Well, yeah, but they that one wasn't conditional, the second part. That was just... So, yeah, the second part was like, you're definitely on your way out. Right. If it's not us, it's something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't disbelieve it. <laughs> one day in the far future, when I just like am looking around and saying, damn, I've got a lot of time. I mean, I do have a deadline. I can't push it out past the end of the century or we'll be gone by then. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I do want to do a uh an episode on north korea it's just it, there's so much to get into i've already delved a yeah. little bit but it's a lot so that's that's on the horizon i guess good looking out as the person who reads our emails and socials i will say it's heavily requested and i want to know about it too like what the fuck is even going on over there yeah yeah all right well there's a lot to get into because it's like a general history it's like mm-hmm. the korean war it's like uh the ideology of juche like what do you f- it's a lot of set up yeah but i'll probably just do like a big two-parter or something probably more well we could do a series you know we could do a series and then just kind of revisit it every once in a while yeah but anyway our days are numbered <laughs> <laughs> start the calendar okay i've got two Main topics, you want my Bible one or do you want my 1840s one? They're both kind of spooky. All right, uh, let's do the Bible one. Starting out old school. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I initially learned about this on Twitter, uh, whatever the fuck it's called now. Ugh, the logo has changed and my tabs are so confusing to me. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> How did I get um, here? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what is this porn site I'm on, on not incognito mode? What's what's happened to my standards? <laughs> You're just letting it all hang out. <laughs> yeah, I am not ashamed. <laughs> Give me the viruses. <laughs> all right, I first learned about this from uh, someone named Anthony Oliveira on Twitter. Uh, that's at, <laughs> this is a really good username, Mea Koopa. <laughs> that's nice. good. Um, so, so name the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse for me. Henry Kissinger. Well, uh, yeah. Well, the, the real ones. Ronald Reagan. Um, sorry, yeah. <laughs> the biblical ones. Famine, pestilence, war, and death? Is it just straight up death or disease? I or? think it's just death is the last one. But the one I want to talk about is the first one you named, which is famine. And that is actually kind of a misnomer. Ooh, Okay. Like a mistranslation? Yeah. Well, it's like a misinterpretation. Mm-hmm. So according to the original, oh, original, <laughs> according to the text of Revelation, uh, we're looking at Revelation 6, 5 and 6, 6. Oh, only one more six left. <laughs> when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come. I looked and behold a black horse 
and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not damage the oil and the wine. So denarius is like their, their currency. Like it's Roman like Let's just money. Pretend it's yeah. Denarii. Roman money. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's how I've heard it before. I don't know. But. I have no idea. So that's their money, right? And really what it is, it's more like inflation. Or like price gouging or something? Yeah, it's saying a quart of wheat is so expensive. Like wheat and barley are so expensive, but oil and wine remain the same prices. Uh, basically saying that like the rich people aren't harmed by this food crunch. Mm, so it's like iniquity? Yeah, and that's why he's got the scales. Ah, so it's like injustice, basically. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like, workers struggling to feed their family. Uh, for reference, like, uh, one, whatever that was, denarii, <laughs> was the pay of a soldier for one day or a day labor for a seasonal worker and harvesting. So what they're saying is basically a day's work will not buy you the necessary food anymore, uh, which whew, I think we've got that horsey right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, over large swaths of the earth, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. not to mention even here, even here, people are, are struggling on that front. Yeah. And like it, like scholars often struggled with like the second part of that being like, okay, the wine and the, the oil are untouched. Does that mean like, you know, they didn't get, you know, pestilence put upon them or something. It's like, no, it's just the prices didn't change. There, there are interpretations that still view this as a famine that like yeah. certain crops are more resistant to it like oil like olive trees and grapes but i mean i don't know to me that that reads more about food prices than food i think i would lean towards that interpretation too and i think one of the interesting things about old bible stuff like that is how you know how much translation how much interpretation has gone on over the years mm -hmm. to where even when you're working with like original Greek or Hebrew parts of it, right? Yeah. You still have to do so much work to translate that and to interpret that into like, you know, you don't, cause translation is an interesting thing. You make a lot of judgment calls on that based on context and, and how does it, you know, how does it actually come through in the other language? So anytime you're doing that, any of the versions of the Bible that we have and whatever, they all have to like negotiate with those original meetings and make judgment calls. They have to make interpretations and say, Hey, we're going to focus on this or, you know, we're not going to focus on that. Like they, it's kind of rewritten, you know? Um, oh, totally. And I'm not saying that as a way to like knock, uh, the Bible is like, you know, religiously, you know, a useful thing for people and stuff. I just mean that it's hard to claim as lots of, especially conservative people do, that there is one definitive superior way to, you know, you know, genuinely read the Bible. And then there's a lot of other like off ways that are bad, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the book itself is like so deeply conflicting at times. And then, yeah, bring into that translation and just the fact that it was originally an oral history. Like there's so much, there's so many ways to take a wrong turn there. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That's something that I find interesting because the flip side of that, of like, you can't really get a definitive one, you know, correct way to look at it is then all your ways, you know, any, anything goes kind of. And, and so like, 
it opens it up to more radical interpretations if that's what you like, you know, and if that's what appeals to you. Yeah, yeah. And given like the historical context of Revelations, it could also be talking specifically about like Roman taxation practices and how like it was really fucking bad then. Yeah, for sure. That's a lot of scholars think that there's a there's this whole school of thought. I've, I've read a little bit about it, but it's too confusing to recall. It's like Revelation is sort of retroactively telling a story of the Romans, you know, destroying the temple and all that, like the, you know, them invading and occupying uh, Judea, I guess. Um, mm. And so it's it's like, but it's like trying to give a cool meaning to that, like a, it's okay, better times will come. Yeah, kind of putting a mythos around it so that it's, I don't know, cooler, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, then, of course, some people say, no, it's a prediction for the future or whatever. Yeah, but that's that's cool. I hadn't thought about that as a critique, I guess, of empire and of inequality, you know? I don't know. Getting to be so my, my denary, I can't buy shit. <laughs> uh, well, you know, if you had a little bit more money, you could... <laughs> You could buy more shit. I should stop choosing to be poor. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Like, that was a bad choice. If you would only sign up for entrepreneurial lessons, then, mm-hmm. then you'd figure it out. Uh, you'd figure out all the <laughs> secrets of, especially, you know, once you get rich, you have to figure out the secrets of, like, how to keep that money. Because you don't want the government to come and tax it away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw a story in ProPublica this week um, about your favorite institution in the U.S., not like in the government, but in the private sector. Oh, good. Who could that be? There's so many. That would be charitable foundations. Oh, my best friends. I'm on the board of all the charities. Yeah. I do a lot of money laundering. It's it's all honorary, but you, you're paid well for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making like 10 different salaries. Well, the story in ProPublica titled, How the Ultra Wealthy use private foundations to bank millions in tax deductions while giving the public little in return. It's a story by Jeff Ernsthausen. And it was, uh, it was comical in ways, you know, it's infuriating. <laughs> it was kind of, you know, it definitely reminded me of our charities episode, but the premise here is in these various instances of, I don't know if it had a pattern of increasing or decreasing hilarity, but these very rich people would, use their charitable foundations to like buy shit basically for themselves, but would write it off on their taxes and say this, I'm going to use this, you know, mansion as a museum for people. And the the IRS would say, okay, that's fine. You can write that off on your taxes. You don't have to pay taxes on any of that. You know, that, that like lowers your wealth or something. And then it it does something with it. It's good. Right. Tax wise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, You just, you know, they never check. (laughs) So you just don't have to do that part. So instead of like, you know, our complaints of charity of like, yeah, you know, you set it, you get to choose how you're going to dole this out. You put all the strings, you know, oh, maybe you build a library here or something. You don't even do that. You just lie. You just, you don't even do the good part. No, you just pretend. (laughs) I wonder if there's some poor person out there that like, looks at Google Maps and is like, this says there's a museum right fucking here, but all I see is this rich asshole's house. <laughs> uh, that's what the author of this article did. They, oh my gosh. They like went to <laughs> places that were claimed as museums and like kind of badgered people into letting them <gasps> go to it. Wow. So 
the first example I give in the article is this mansion owned by the Carolans, or maybe it's just called Carolans. Yeah, it's just called Carolans. It's this old mansion south of San Francisco, a 98-room Beaux-Arts Chateau. Oh. Uh, like, it was old, but then renovated. Uh, they, it's got yeah, like... I don't know what the Beaux-Arts are. Sounds familiar. It's like French, um, the, maybe it's That's got, sounds French period. as fuck. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's got like reflecting pool gardens. It, the designer took inspiration from Versailles. These uh, rich assholes, when they renovated it, <laughs> and they had like their party for their friends. They did like a costume party, and they dressed up as Marie Antoinette and Louis the Sixteenth. <gasps> cool. Definitely not any concerning, you know, context for that. <laughs> I think that's. I did chant guillotine earlier in this episode. I'm tempted to do it again for no reason at all. Yeah. <laughs> so this mansion, you, the way that you get to tour it, uh, it's open for two hours a week, like Wednesdays. They give these guided tours. And the way you get access to that. <gasps> I just saw a picture. <laughs> oh, of the house? Of the mansion. Yeah. Oh, my God. Burn it down. Burn it down. <laughs> I also started chanting this the other day when we were driving through Highland Park. <laughs> I was like, ah, get rid of it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that place is the worst. That's what I was thinking. Of. Not like Highland, but Highland Park. Unless yeah, that's yeah, the same yeah. place. I don't know. I don't know. Ah, Dallas I think it's a place. Okay. Sorry, like Highlands, if y'all are cool. I have no idea. I, I don't even know where you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry for that. But, yeah, so, like, you, the way you get access to this... Mansion is you have to uh, apply a month in advance oh and there is a lottery for all the applicants. And then, you know, you win and you get to go tour it. <laughs> so like one guy a year gets a, gets a tour. No, it's like uh, maybe a couple dozen or something. Still, that's nothing. You could just knock that out in a month and the rest of the month it's your fucking party house yeah, for the rest yeah, of the year. <laughs> and and it's, it's only one day a week. So it's 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 Wednesdays 1 p.m. That's it. That's the only t- for two hours. That's how long you have to be oh mansion. <laughs> you have to fuck off for two hours. And- oh, but hey, great news! A woman built this, so you know, girl boss. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally, totally. <laughs> uh, and this journalist anyway had to basically you know tried the lottery thing and did not win for like a couple months <laughs> and was like, okay, fine, I'll email the director of this foundation, and so. That's how he got a spot. Uh, but apparently they, you know, used uh, this guy, Charles Johnson. He's a billionaire. Uh, used his private foundation uh, or like donated this mansion to his private foundation <laughs> to get a tax write-off. And told the IRS that uh, it's going to be open to the public. Or he told a California tax regulator that the estate was open to the public every day from nine to five. Not quite the case. <laughs> yeah. And this uh, allowed him to collect more than $38 million in tax savings from the estate over five years. Wow. And th- he said it was going to be self-guided tours open to the public, you know, 40 hours a week. Instead, you know, that's another thing about it, too. It's very, it's structured. It's very guided tours. You know, they have like people there leading you around in the one path you can go. So, yeah, you could totally live in this place, you know? 
Um, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. I'm learning some really interesting things. Mm. One, there is a documentary about this house that was made by PBS and won two Emmys, or nominated for two Emmys. But, okay, this headline was in the notes, was in the, like, uh, references, right? Mm -hmm. You ready for this? Yeah. Pasta Air defends self in tax case. Pasta Air? (laughs) Apparently, the riceroni heir michael de domenico (laughs) (laughs) had to defend himself uh he was charged with evading 1.5 million dollars in state income taxes and he he owned this house at one point oh okay maybe he was doing the same thing what did he do he received it from the sale of his family's golden grain company five years ago so he just didn't pay taxes on (laughs) he just lied sale uh a fantastic quote from him when asked if he could afford attorney yeah, I probably could, but I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing with rich people. They can just pay when they get caught. Like It's fine. Yeah. Okay, so I got really distracted by that reference. <laughs> it's like, sorry, <laughs> pasta? What right? is Riceroni doing here? <laughs> uh, so uh, this apparently is pretty common. These foundations, charitable foundations that we've you know railed about before, they hold over a trillion dollars in assets across the U.S. So who knows, you know, how often they're pulling stuff like this. Uh, there was one where a tech billionaire used his charitable foundation to buy his girlfriend's house uh, <laughs> and then stayed there with her while he was going through a divorce. Cool. Yeah. There was one where this real estate mogul, you know, he used a charitable foundation to do a nonprofit art museum in his guest house. Uh, but then proceeded not to show that to anyone. He said he hadn't he even told the journalist oh in the story. I have not shown this to the public since before the pandemic. Like he's just not doing um, any of it. Yeah. Art galleries is a great grift because you can just say it's like super exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, they, and they just lie. And, and it's apparently they just, the IRS basically can't catch them or very rarely does. That tech billionaire guy was so egregious. I think they caught him. <laughs> Yeah, all they have to do is lie on the application, and there you go. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, starting a museum in my garage <laughs> so I can, refer, uh, what's it called, uh, do some construction on it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there was one instance where some people were trying to apply for this thing, and the IRS actually said, hmm, I don't know. Uh, these guys, uh, or this guy, Matthew Strauss. San Diego real estate magnate, loser, $4 million write-off for his guest house as part of his contemporary oh art God. collection. The IRS, <laughs> like just a regular-ass employee, um, said, this looks like you guys are using this like as your house and just for yourself. <laughs> like It's on your property. It seems like it's just your personal art collection and you're just showing it off to your friends and not doing anything Oh, my publicly. God. They wanted to know when the actual art would be donated, what kind of access the public would have, all this, you know, normal charitable shit. And their lawyer, Strauss, the Strauss's lawyer said, oh, 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 don't worry. We're not going to do personal events here. This is going to be public access. You know, they can view the collection, quote unquote, upon request. Uh-huh. We're totally going to donate, you know, basically all of the art to the foundation, $50 million worth of art. And, you know, we're going to do it real pretty quickly but like in a fashion that minimizes income taxes so eventually okay what does that mean well that's what the irs was was still saying they did not get back to them they did not like 
pests there uh, that didn't improve it for a long time. Uh, <laughs> and so eventually the next year they got a letter from by in this time period, 2007, the young and spry Senator Diane Feinstein. Oh, wow. California. She was still on like her first set of bones. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, California Senator, that's where this is happening, uh, inquiring about the delay of the application. Now, why did she choose to weigh in, do you think? Mm, was she buddies? They were buddies, yeah. Or at least, mm-hmm. you know, friends with benefits or something, because... God, don't put that image in my mind. Well, specifically monetary benefits, in the, yeah, in the sense you. that... Yeah, uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't need to hear bones rattling around like that. <laughs> hey, the old folks can have fun, too. But um, <laughs> the couple had given her more than $15,000 over the past few election cycles. And so then just a few months later, <laughs> the application is approved. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Cool. Cool thing that we can do. Yeah. And, you know, 15 years after this, uh, after saying, yeah, we're going to donate all of that $50 million in art, the foundation holds just six million dollars worth the rest is in a private trust can i set up a ronald reagan memorial in my garage and then just fill it full of jars of piss (laughs) yeah (laughs) like the like the crucifix art person or whatever Uh uh-huh (laughs) uh-huh or i redo my bathroom uh, but I put the toilet inside of it, a picture of Ronald Reagan. Like, he's he's mosaic tiled in there. Yeah. But I, it's a public bathroom, uh-huh. and it's free to use, and I'm going to build it in a public place so that, like, you know, people without houses can go and, like, piss in peace. Yeah. No, they need it. They deserve that. Yeah, and you get to piss on Ronald Reagan's face. That's great. I, I don't see anything wrong with this. I, I think that'll be good. You can open it up Ronald to the Reagan public. memorial toilet. Um, you know, once a week. And... We're going to have a second stall, and it's going to say reserved for Henry Kissinger's face. Yeah, coming soon. Coming soon. (laughs) The sequel. It's like on Wikipedia. (laughs) Have you ever seen these screenshots where they line it up to where Wikipedia will tell you this article is a stub. You can contribute to it by adding to it. But they like line that up with something like list of serial killers in this place. So it's kind of funny. It's like you could add to this. So You could be the one. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Dream big. So it's like Henry Kissinger's face come you know corpse coming soon uh now <laughs> hiring hitmen you know <laughs> oh no henry kissinger will die surrounded by loved ones in comfort mm-hmm. uh despite all the evils he's wrought in the world that's a bummer what else you got i have a spooky tale Ooh, okay spooky. i want to send you a picture first to start it I also started this research from from ye old Twitter. Uh, this was from Annie Armstrong, and then I did my own little research dive. Wow, you're actually having to interact with the X. Well, these I had bookmarked a few weeks ago, okay. so I did have to interact with it to open these tabs again. Yeah, it sucks. Look at this fucking spooky Whoa. picture. Okay, that's. <laughs> That's horrific. Isn't that the worst? <laughs> Is that just a bag? It's a leather bag. Okay, so, listeners, today we're going to talk about the anti-renters movement, also known as the anti-rent war. 
the image that I have sent is a picture of a participant in this conflict. This is a handmade leather bag with like a fake nose on it and little holes for the eyes. And it's just fucking terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) So look these masks up if you get a chance. Uh, This is what was called, uh, unfortunately named Calico Indians. So they, they dressed up like this they they named it calico because all of, like their dresses were calico and very long so they could obscure even like their boots because hmm, um, okay. i guess you could recognize somebody by their boots back then uh, which makes sense you probably didn't change those very often yeah this comes from the catskills up in new york in the 1840s you had a bunch of rich landowners called patroons <laughs> It was kind of like a remnant of a feudal system, basically. They were like the lords? Essentially, yeah. They were these descendants of, you know, Englishmen and Dutchmen and eventually, like, revolutionaries and people who did well in, like, the War of 1812. Um, so all these, like, really rich people. Mm-hmm. And they rented out these tiny plots of land. And if you know anything about New York and farming, you know that, like, a lot of the soil fucking sucks. Yeah. It's not exactly known as, like, an agricultural center, most of the state. Yeah, it ain't the fucking breadbasket, you know? Well, it was one of the middle colonies, which were the breadbasket colonies, but... Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. (laughs) Was it? I thought it was more northern than that. It's north north within the middle colonies, but it's not New England. I guess. I guess, yeah. But the further you go upstate, then it's going to be colder and, you know, more like Buffalo, so... I read, like, the saying at the time, or, you know, the saying in the region was, two rocks for one dirt. Hmm. Nice. So, pretty cool soil quality. Yeah. So, you had you had about 15 out of every 20 acres of land was rented out by these tenant farmers, and most of them were struggling to feed themselves and also to pay rent. And these, you know, it was basically subsistence farming, but then you also had to pay a guy. <laughs> and the laws were so intense, and their leases were so awful that like if they were ever in debt the landlords could just come and take what they wanted no court action required so they were like sharecroppers essentially yeah wow uh but they went to war apparently yes (laughs) well they went on strike in the summer of 1844 they just stopped paying rent whoa okay so rent strike rent strike yes Yeah. all right awesome what did how did the patroons take it Not well. <laughs> and they they really fucking, they did some shit, man. So they, they formed these associations, uh, these anti-rent associations. They did some cool, like, mutual aid. They, they raised funds for lawsuits to challenge landlords' titles, and they provided relief for farmers if their property was seized. They also did some scary shit. They made these creepy costumes <laughs> uh, and called themselves Calico Indians, and if someone tried to deliver papers for a sale on a farm, they would intercept the messenger, burn the documents, and tar and feather the courier. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, they did some shit. They would uh, shoot livestock before the sale to, like, drop down the value of the farm. They would threaten the the police and the sheriff and all them, because they are the ones, like, doing these auctions and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> An account from the time, hilariously written by a railroad magnet named jay gould i don't know if you've heard of him oh yeah 
Yeah. Kind of like talk shit about them saying like, oh, these are, you know, he basically calls them socialists. He says they're, they're associating with Fourier and Owen and like, it's just ridiculous. Fun side note that Jay Gould was so unpopular that he was assaulted on the streets of New York, like all the time. Good. <laughs> People fucking hate this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, and that's, that's what, uh, that's what's so silly about, you know, when the Supreme Court justices were crying because people were like yelling outside of the steakhouse they were at. Mm-hmm. That's so like, you don't know how good you have it. Like we used to just fucking sock people in the jaw when they were at this For big real. of an asshole, you know? Yeah. There used to be like, you could be a little bit scared. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so these anti-rent folks started uh, aligning themselves with something called the National Reform Association. Uh, which had some pretty cool demands. Okay. <laughs> they call for destroying the aristocracy, redistributing wealth by redistributing land, a 10-hour workday, and workers' cooperatives to sell goods in common, basically, uh, to be able to get together and sell their produce. Wow. All right. Pretty progressive. Yeah. Uh, Robert Owen even spoke at their like assembly in 1845. Nice. Yeah. So pretty cool. They were on the right track. Sort of, uh, because now crackdowns start happening. Uh, the governor of New York banned disguises, which I love to know how you like enforce that. Like, you're doing a play? Fuck you. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> and, and groups of three or more people gathering in costumes. So Halloween's canceled this year, y'all. <laughs> Fuck y'all. Can't do <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck them kids. And uh, this one's weird. If you were like, a bystander to violence and you could have intervened, you could receive a fine of $250 and or a year's imprisonment. Wow. So like if they, there was like a posse gathering and you didn't join, I guess. Right. Yeah. Or you were like, no, I wasn't doing it. I wasn't beating the guy up. It was <laughs> these guys. That's a ton of money too back then. That's a lot of fucking money. So one of the leaders of this movement, Jonathan Alabin, there's this great quote where he was saying, like, he was kind of encouraging, like, a, like a revolution at the ballot box. Like, hey, like, we need to, like, move this forward politically. Uh, but also said, quote, if the sheriff runs his head in a tar bucket, it's not their fault. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he just tripped and fell. Yeah, I would say something should happen to him. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, shit started popping off. Uh, the Calicos employed lots of intimidation tactics. The police responded by rounding up and harassing uh, anyone suspected of being part of their groups, uh, which obviously was difficult because everybody was disguised. Calicos, in return to that, tried to break out prisoners and even kidnap officials. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah. The most hated enemy was Osman Steele, acting under sheriff. Sounds like an asshole. Oh, yeah. I'm picturing he's like, you know, like in Robin Hood, the, the mean sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a real dick. He had a reputation for, for being just awful. Uh, at one point, he supposedly tortured somebody's wife for her Ooh. to give up her husband. And uh, because he's a cop, uh, he got arrested before he was sheriff for battering his own wife. So, you know, standard 40%. cop shit. 40%. <laughs> Oh, okay, so on July 29th, uh, hundreds of Calicos showed up to protest the sale of a debtor's farm. Uh, one Moses Earl, he owed about $2,000 to uh, this, this landlady. Mm -hmm. They managed to delay the sale by a week, 
uh, but it turned into a showdown, complete with the undersheriff and his cousin, the constable, showing up, even though this was not, like, under their jurisdiction. They showed <laughs> up seemingly else. for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Classic cop shit. Mm-hmm. And, no, 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 it gets better. Steele starts shit-talking the, the sheriff, undersheriff, whatever. He dares somebody to shoot his horse. <laughs> Why? Like, what the fuck did the horse do? I know. Also so very rude. mean to your horse. Yeah. And some accounts differ, but he starts shooting at the crowd. There's there's some, oh, maybe it was the other guys first. It was unclear, but, you know, we know who did it. He's the one saying, fucking come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah. He sounds drunk <laughs> as shit, too, to just show up to this thing, <laughs> yelling at people to shoot his horse. Isn't that crazy? So according to the the uh, debtor in question, Moses Earl, you know, Steele gets shot. He's on his deathbed. <laughs> Good. I know. <laughs> and he's like, you know, damn it. If you had just paid your rent on time, this wouldn't have happened. And uh, Moses said, I said, if you had stayed at home and minded your business, this would not have happened. <laughs> uh, for sure. This was not even your, you don't even go here. You didn't. Yeah, exactly. You didn't have to do this. Self-inflicted. Uh, how did the anti-rent guys do overall, though? I mean, they killed this guy. That's good. Um, well, they got crushed. Uh, the governor sent out the militia, and they were brutal. They were, like, fucking sacking farms and arresting people. They just, like, shut this shit down. But, I mean, you know, they made some reformist things. Like, this had an influence on future politics of there. there was this kind of movement of, like, oh, shit, people really are running out of land. We need to do something. I forgot about this part of, uh, I need to reread that. People's History of the United States does cover mm. uh, the anti-rent, anti-renter movement. Mm-hmm. Nice. I got this from Granta Magazine, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is also a, a book publisher. And this was an article called Ghostlands by Jennifer Cabot. And her writing is really great too because she like owns some land in this area so she talks a lot about like these people like could have been my neighbors and it's very nicely written so definitely recommend giving that a read i can link it in show notes um but yeah it it was a super (laughs) weird and like completely sucked up my afternoon today it was just like i gotta find out more about this crazy mask shit yeah i i love those early american history stories of you know like shay's rebellion and stuff where Mm -hmm. people just fucking don't take shit you know and there's so much of our history that you know episodes where people resort to that that are they're kind of suppressed i mean that's that's not the only reason we learn about Shay's Rebellion is to show like how weak the government was and how we had to make it strong to stop shit like that from yes, happening. Yes, yes. You know? When in reality, it, were, it was these like bad conditions. Like I, I read about, like it was really cool because she was talking about how she was, you know, going into the county clerk's office and reading these old deeds and these old leases. And she found one that was demanding 480 pounds of wheat on 34 acres of land, which is just hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> And the landlord basically reserved rights to anything valuable on the land. So any ore, mines, there's this waterfall that he, like, got to keep because, like, that could be used for a mill. Like, basically, you didn't get any of the good shit. (laughs) Yeah, you were just left with the scraps, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, she talks about seeing this, like, little bitty shack on her property that's, like, six by six foot. And she's like, I'm pretty sure this was, like, some dude's house. (laughs) Wow. Like a shack. Like a fucking shack. That's crazy. 
Yeah. But super cool, interesting story. Yeah, recommend it. Yeah, there's a little passage on this in People's History. It looks like in chapter 10. I was just kind of skimming it when you... Mm, yeah. But it is in there. I just apparently had fallen out of my brain, but <laughs> that's cool. No, I mean, I got to I gotta reread that. I started it. I've never finished that book. I need to. It's a good one, if you can remember. It is. I've got a copy somewhere. All right. Uh, let's uh, talk about labor. Yeah, let's go to the labor corner. Yeah, it's a good corner. Um, you know, it's more like center stage, I feel like. You know, it's the workers' Yeah, I don't movement. think it should be a corner. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. <laughs> On the labor stage. That's been um, in the news lately. You heard any about this? What? About, like, st- stuff happening with labor oh. lately. <laughs> okay, yeah. I see now that this is a lead because we discussed topics before we started recording. What's going on with the UPS strike? Uh, the UPS strike seems to have been avoided in a good way in a good way yeah ups um, and teamsters said they reached a tentative deal on a new contract what is a teamster a teamster is like a union it's the teamsters union okay what does that mean so they're like transportation um transportation oriented tends to be Mm. uh like the term itself teamster i'm not really sure let's see uh It was formed in 1903 by the merger of the Team Drivers International Union and the Teamsters National Union. So that was a term for people who, you know, drove teams of horses, I guess, to transport. Oh, horses. Okay. Because their logo is two horses and over like a wheel. Why are the horses over the wheel? That's that's not where horses go. Well, it's just like two horse heads. It's very stylized. I don't know. Mm, Okay, I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. It looks like a fancy school for writing. <laughs> well, they reached a tentative deal. They were fucking afraid. UPS, mm-hmm. they were, and everybody business-wise was worried because everything was going to get crunched transportation-wise. The Teamsters represent about 340,000 workers at UPS. They reached a preliminary deal. It does have to be like ratified, but I think they just did that. I saw a tweet uh, from like July 31st recording day that UPS Teamsters local unions endorsed the tentative agreement 161 to one on Monday. I wonder what the one local union was like, nah, <laughs> fuck it. We want to go on strike. Maybe they just misread the thing. <laughs> they hit the wrong button. Fuck. I meant no. <laughs> uh, to endorse the tentative agreement and recommend its full passage by the full membership. Okay. So like maybe the, the locals, I don't know how the, the process is. They probably still have to do something, but but it looks good. I mean, it, uh, they tweeted some stuff out about it. Uh, overtime safeguards, seasonal protections, Martin Luther King Jr. Day off as a full holiday for the first time. I mean, there's been a lot of stories about like uh, mail carriers like passing out and shit or like mm-hmm. dying because it's yeah. so fucking hot out. Yeah, no, that's one of the things that they like one. Uh, the UPS tried to bribe them with that. Whenever there was a, mm. like, the strike was, in, when they were initially negotiating before the strike, before the strike threat, UPS was like, hey, 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 like, look, take the deal that we're giving you, and look, we're going to put in air conditioning in the cars. And the, you know, Teamsters were like, hey, fuck you, you should put the, you know, the air conditioning yeah. in the cars anyway. Why is that like a bribe? That's right, just so- a requirement for being a human. New language mandates UPS equip in-cab AC on all larger vehicle 
delivery vehicles, sprinter vans, and package cars purchase after that. And all cars get two fans and air, air induction vents in the cargo compartments. So I don't Jeez. know if all of them are going to have AC yet, but... It's going to roll out. But yeah, they said, you know, even after that was put on the table, they said, fuck you. We're going to vote to authorize a strike if you guys don't meet these other demands. No forced fuck overtime yes. on days off. Uh, seasonal su- support work for part-timers. The agreement's worth $30 billion, says Teamsters General President Sean O'Brien. They'll get a raise. Existing part-time workers will get a raise to at least $21 an hour. Uh, part-time pay was a sticking point because they were trying to do that classic thing that companies do to unions is they try to tier you. They try to make mm-hmm. a tier for experienced. Fo- they'll either do years of experience and get new people to have a shittier deal, or they'll do like... Um, Full-time versus part-time. There's lots of ways to split people, but they want to split people to where they can make out a bad guy within the union and then say, why do you want to join the union? They're not getting you benefits. They're getting this small group of workers benefits, you know? Yep, yep. They do this all the time. They do it with, uh, like, migrant workers. They they did it with women, you know, like, early industrial times. They're like, oh, we can just pay women way less. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So full-time workers will average $49 an hour. Current workers will get $275 more an hour this year and $750 more an hour during the five-year contract. Wow. It will end, yeah, we talked about mandatory overtimes. And so, yeah, they're supposed to, they're supposed to vote to ratify that. Voting runs from August 3rd and ends August 22nd. And it looks like, I mean, I saw this other article that was like, UPS loses big in the, you know... <laughs> uh, like they were like, oh, it's cost too much or something. Uh, a bad deal for UPS as this analyst, which is, I mean, a oh good deal for God. the workers. So good deal for the people who are actually make up UPS. So like, fuck off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was, I mean, I think a big logistical crisis averted for one mm-hmm. thing. Jesus, yeah. So that's good for everybody in that sense. Um, it's good for everyone because you know of that. It's been proven that. Wins for unions do translate to wins for workers, even in non-unionized workplaces, because it, you know, is competition. You know, they always like to pretend that we don't have any other alternatives and we don't in terms of like selling our bodies to somebody. But we do have (laughs) choices, at least somewhat in who we sell, (laughs) sell ourselves to. Yes, exactly. Congrats to UPS. Yes. Big shout out to to the UPS workers. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Not the the guys that were trying to fuck you over and not give you air conditioning. (laughs) Fuck those guys. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of fuck those guys, um, Mm -hmm. staff at grinder are unionizing. Okay. Yeah. They are fucking those guys. That was a good segue. Wasn't it? (laughs) That's a really good segue. (laughs) I'm very pleased about that. Uh, Uh, Yeah. So I saw this, Jacobin interview um, with two workers with Grinder talking about kind of what they're trying to do. And I thought this was cool because in the course of the interview, they're basically saying like, hey, really not a lot is wrong here at our company. Like we like our jobs. We want to keep it good. They they did Ooh. say like, you know, you know, we've, we've seen some colleagues get fired or, or leave like in a bad sort of way. And we don't like that. But generally things are good. And we think forming a union will help keep things good. You know, uh, this one. Interesting. Like a preemptive union. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quinn McGee is interviewed here. You know, it says, I love working here. It's wonderful. You know, it's got a wonderful, vibrant queer culture. 
We want to ensure that the things we love about Grindr are enshrined in a contract that can't be unilaterally changed and that allows us to strengthen the company as a whole and retain people who care about the mission. Like, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting take on it of like, it's good now, but any day now some asshole could come in and make shit bad, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So they are, I guess, still forming forming this. And one of the other thing that the other guy interviewed, Jack Alto, says that kind of like they still think things are good at their company, but they're seeing things go badly in other industries. I mean, you think about like the writer's strike and the actor's strike and everything like it could go anywhere. And they're like, well, we need to protect against that like now while we still can, you know? No, yeah. I mean, that's a great call. I mean, especially in, I don't know, tech industries, things move so quickly there that like a lot of times you're kind of forced to do shit and it's always like, oh, this is just temporary. Like that shit could just not be temporary, you know? <laughs> like there, there's a big uh, culture of, of like rushing, I think, in tech companies. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, in video games, it's called something like, like crunch. The cr- yeah, the crunch. Yes, yes. And that's, yeah, I think you're right. That's probably not a standard, but expected, I guess, in a lot of tech, in a lot of the tech industry. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies, like, especially when they're big names like that can get away with that shit because like, oh, it's cool to work here. Right. Right. Yeah. You're, you're doing something neat. You know, you're. Yeah. And like, that's basically how Silicon Valley ran everything for a while. It's like, we give you weird, cool perks. We're also going to be super abusive. (laughs) Yeah. You know, thumbs up to them. Solidarity with them. Hopefully they succeed in their unionization drive. I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't, uh, wonderful workplace aside, a workplace is just that. And so I wouldn't put it past their bosses to turn not as nice for a little while trying to, trying to crush this. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I recently found out that my favorite podcast network, not to shout out other pods that aren't us. Competition, <laughs> bad, boo. <laughs> they're all terrible. Don't listen no, to them. Maximum Fun, uh, they're a pretty big uh, organization at this point. Uh, they have the McElroy podcast, if you listen to any of those. So like Adventure Zone, My Brother, My Brother and Me, which I'm obsessed with. Also a newest obsession of mine, which is The Greatest Generation, which is about Star Trek. So been binging that super heavily. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, their company just became a worker-owned co-op. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I haven't done a ton of research into it yet, but, like, that's kind of cool. And, like, it's such a gathering of very, like, creative and weird people. So, I, I don't know. I think that sounds great. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's another thing. One of the things that they didn't like. Mm. They were like, hmm, you know, the warning signs. Mm, okay, Apparently, okay. their CEO, George Arison, was supporting verbally and financially politicians who were homophobic. Mm, okay. And what the fuck? And you're working at Grinder, Right. Maybe he thinks like, oh, it'll get more underground. And so it'll be <laughs> like you can only meet people on Grinder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, his name sounds like he's. Uh, like a more British George Harrison, like George Harrison. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So about a hundred of us in the bargaining unit. So a hundred people there. Significantly more than two thirds of the bargaining unit have signed on to support, including people who haven't actually started yet. They're still new hires, I guess. So yeah, looks like they're well on their way. 
That's so great. I love that as a as a preventative measure. Like that's I don't know, to me that's like a really good sign of I don't know, not like the whole culture about unions necessarily, but like, that's, that's good. You know, that Mm -hmm. like someone can say, Hey, it doesn't just have to be when we're in a crisis. This can just be a regular kind of managing thing that we do for ourselves. Right. Yeah. We like, we want to have a voice in something that we enjoy as well as in some, you know, to protect ourselves if, if it gets bad, but like, you don't even have to think about the what if really, you could just say, I work here. I want a voice. I spend how much of my time here? <laughs> yeah. You know, the U.S. is like, oh, we're, we're democratic. And, you know, yeah, we do have some political rights on paper, at least, you know. <laughs> but there's a hard divide between the political side, which we say, which we claim mm-hmm. people should have a say in, and the economic world where we say, no, absolutely not. You, you work for your boss. That's it. You know? Totally. And it only makes sense to try to expand democracy into the workplace. We're not talking about having meetings all the time and deciding, you know, having a vote every day of like which color paper we're going to use for this, but you should have Uh, some say in how your workplace is run. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The big decisions, you know, shit like people supporting terrible candidates that will run your business into the ground. Yeah. You should probably have a say about that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the last part in the labor program, Mm -hmm. uh, is, has to do with the, strike that is going on in Southern California, the hotel workers. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, so the hotel workers have been doing a strike, and I'm not sure, like, how... Because it says rolling strike, so maybe they're doing some strikes here, some... I don't know. They're, they're specifics, but there was this interesting new kind of wrinkle in the case, is that um, there is a an app called Instawork, Okay. It's an app-based staffing company. And uh, the story opens with this guy signing up for a shift at one of these uh, hotels and getting there and being greeted with a picket line because they're on strike. He he didn't know, you know, (gasps) they didn't tell him anything about it on the job. So good guy that he is. Thomas Bradley, shout out to you in Mm -hmm. Jacobin's article about this by Alex Press. Did not take the job. He joined the workers on the picket line. Fuck yes. But but here's the the crazy kind of kicker here. Because he refused to be a scab, joined the picket line and everything, uh, he was put down as no-show for that shift. He had signed up for other shifts at other area hotels, but Instawork quickly canceled those assignments. (gasps) He again joined the picket line later at the Hilton Anaheim Hotel, and the company suspended his Instawork account. (gasps) Oh, my God. And that would have just been his lot in life, except for reporters reached out to Instawork about his case, and then they lifted his suspension. Oh, my God. So how many times did they fucking get away with that? Yeah. Yeah. The the real part of it. Yeah. The Instawork app does this. It's automated. It's an automated policy. <sighs> Nobody's hitting a button. It's just when you don't do that, even if it's protected, you know, labor uh, activity. Protected concerted yes, activity is what they call. Let's be clear about that, that that's a protected thing, right? Yeah, yeah, you have a right. Because I could easily hear someone be like, well, he chose to not go, so, you know. No, no, no. Um, workers who engage in protected concerted activity constitutes a violation of labor law. So if you just automatically penalize workers for not crossing a picket line, especially when you didn't even tell them. 
Yeah, they didn't fucking know. Um, there was some other labor action I was going to ask about that reminded me of something. Oh, no, this was just about the the Hollywood strike and how Disney's fucking hiring for AI jobs. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, like the timing, eh? <laughs> Pretty well, weird that all of its writers are gone and now they want AI to do it for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, on some level, we deserve a bit of AI-ization of our entertainment given the slop we regularly flock toward. <laughs> But uh, I don't want to yeah. be that like supremacist culture guy of like stuff today sucks. But, but it kind of does. Yeah, uh, yeah. It does. We can but, just like be... some of it doesn't. I mean, some of it's really good. You know, I mean, yeah. The, I feel like the money where the money is is always in a in like the lowest common denominator shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Like we've talked about that before. Like, like almost all the movies being produced are existing IP or you know sequels, yeah. shit like that. It's just it's exhausting. That's one. That's one thing I like to count when I do go see a movie at the previews. Mm-hmm. Is what is a Marvel <laughs> movie or superhero movie? What is a sequel or already existing? If you include this third category, you're going to get basically everything. It's something that existed in some form, like an adaptation, like a biopic too. Do you count? Oh that? yeah, you could count. Yeah, cause <laughs> so. You could pretty much eliminate. I mean, you have to get permission from the estate. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this today because I was like, why do I like Star Trek, like the old Star Trek so much? And I haven't really dived into the new stuff. And I get commercials for them like on Paramount Plus and they just seem so quippy and like very Marvel fied. I don't know if this is accurate. I haven't seen an episode. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Episode of what, by the way? Of like uh, Star Trek Discovery or Mm. like in what is it? The Strange New Worlds, like that kind of stuff. Like, it just seems very, like, like, the trailers repulse me. (laughs) Yeah. And I was thinking, like, what I love about TNG is that, like, even though it is a sequel to the original series, it's just, it's kind of, like, shitty in, like, a great way. (laughs) Like, it it reminds me of that tweet of, like, I want, you know, shittier games made by (laughs) higher paid people and, you know, they work less and things like that. And, like, that's what that makes me think of, of, like this is made on such a budget, but it makes them make really thoughtful decisions sometimes. Not all the time. Like there's some real clunkers. (laughs) You can't just like special effects your way out of it. Yes. Like you have to rely on story and, and like they're even like the, the fucking pull quotes they were showing for this commercial were like visually stunning. I'm like, I don't care about that. I don't like, I want to see cool stories in space. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't care what it looks like. It was always, I mean, aside from like Kirk fights with space lizard, (laughs) <laughs> the corn. As long, aside from you know these little gladiatorial sort of side side stories, I mean it was always very intellectual, like yes. and you know very much in the in the vein of Twilight Zone and oh that yeah, sort of some like, of them could totally be Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, and that's I don't know, that's what people I thought liked about Star Trek, and I think the Next Generation does well most of the time. Is it's sci-fi it tries to make you think, you know. And is yeah. and has cool little space fights, but it's not like <laughs> I'm not in it for the space fights. <laughs> yeah, it was maybe it was somewhat good uh, visual effects for the time. I don't know, but <laughs> it, some never, of them, yeah, some of them are like that's almost believable. Right. It's but it's never like the main attraction, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just in a really deep Star Trek binge right now, so you know what's new. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I really recommend if you want to shut out all thoughts and just immerse yourself in media, find a podcast that talks about it and then just like watch a few episodes, listen to a few episodes and just become a fucking freak like me. (laughs) So you're recommending this like approach of watch a video, like watch some sort of a TV show podcast or listen to one and watch it. I like it. Uh, Sometimes I get cool Star Trek dreams. So recommend. (laughs) I was afraid of having like (laughs) content that I've consumed driven dreams. Like those always actually make me back off of whatever it is. Like I've been playing (laughs) way too much, you know, Stellaris or City Skylines Mm -hmm. or whatever when I have it like influence my dreams. And I actually do pull back on that. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm a I'm a nasty man. I'm like, this is great. Put me back in, Captain. Uh, well, what's really hard is too. I like today was a research day for me. Like I, I started digging into Alexander Kolontai, and I realized there's a reason. I mean, one, research is not my strength, and two, the the problem with it is I am the kind of person that when I learn a new fact, I have to sell, tell somebody immediately. Yeah, and I hate sitting on it for weeks because we're not doing that episode for another like two weeks, and so now I just have all these fun facts. And I just had to keep them or just spit them out at Kyle for no reason. Yeah, that's what I do. I inflict. <laughs> you inflict them on your spouse. Yeah. yeah but you know this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really hard not telling you all my fun facts. I'm like, oh, I, someone who actually cares about it, I have to wait. Yeah, that's annoying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else to shoot? I have a couple of texas items i like to mm. bother all of you listeners with texas stuff because you know, you know not everyone knows about what wonderful what goes things on go on down here yeah so one of them is a little older by now it happened you know maybe a week ago recording time but you still might not have heard about it it's down in houston houston isd uh are completely uh, fucking stuff up. Do you know about Houston ISD and its situation? Um, I was going to make a crack at Houston, but I bet we have listeners in Houston. So, no. Well, <laughs> considering they're going through it here, I'm, I wouldn't punch them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> punch them while they're down. Yeah, but Houston ISD got, like, taken over by the state. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the state just, like, rammed that through, said, no, we're not going to listen to any appeals. They appointed a new superintendent, a guy named Mike Miles. He seems like an asshole uh, because in this recent uh, action that he took, they are eliminating at 28 campuses that are part of their new education system, which is like the new system they're rolling out. They are eliminating the librarian and media specialist (gasps) positions. I did hear about this. I follow a few librarians on Instagram because sometimes that's what happens when you make a book is that librarians follow you and they seem cool. So you follow them back. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Librarians are dope. They're so cool. Uh, And yeah, I did hear about this. That's fucking bonkers. They are going to convert the libraries to what they're now calling team centers. But when I first came across this article, they were just saying discipline centers. Oh, Uh, no. Yeah. (laughs) I'm picturing like... They hastily, like, put a plywood sign over discipline centers and wrote teen, but you can still see the ends of the word discipline. Yeah. Disdiscipline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's going to be a place where former library spaces at some schools will be converted into rooms where students who misbehave will be relocated to watch lessons virtually, work alone, or in groups with differentiated lessons. Books will remain on shelves, and students will still be able to borrow books. But no librarians. <laughs> 
No, yeah, so they're just going to have to poke around blindly. Right. Oh, my God. But it's being turned into, like, ISS jail, you know? Essentially, yeah, this is kid jail. Yeah. The the um, the article, <laughs> article <laughs> in the Houston Public Media uh, also says some other stuff about this new education system thing that these campuses are having to do. Mm-hmm. It says it entails pre-made lesson plans for teachers, classroom cameras for disciplinary purposes, uh, and a greater no. emphasis on testing-based performance evaluations. These are all bad. The camera thing, that is a huge violation of privacy. Jesus Christ, I'd pull my kid out of there so fucking fast. Well, where are you going to go? That's the thing is. Yeah, I mean, if I don't have money, like I don't have a choice. Well, why do you do this? So why do you take over a school system, make it worse, like actively make it more oppressive? Uh, at the same time, coincidentally, that your governor is pushing for school vouchers. Doesn't that line oh, up? Okay. I see. So this is another case of let's uh, run something by the state, call it socialism so we can shit on socialism. Yeah. Or so we can at least kill one of the few public <laughs> goods that we offer. By making mm-hmm. it shitty on purpose. Mm-hmm. See public transport. See the uh, ragged trouser philanthropist chapter on the power company. This is an old trick, folks. Yeah. And, they, you know, they, they have disguises for it. And they're going to say, oh, this is just tough love or whatever. But who, mm-hmm. are they offering tough love to their students? No, they go down into Houston and, and do it in, in the inner city, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Their private schools don't have... ISS and you know no libraries and all that cameras shit. trained on you at every moment like why oh is that you know, why do they not have that in in the uh and what was it the Highland Park schools mm-hmm yeah so that was crazy just just pre-criminalizing students in that way oh my god yeah I just thought it was like a stomp in the face not like the librarian thing is bad enough like that's awful yeah if they just got awful. rid of them that would be bad. I would I'll still yeah, bring that's the, already a news item. Yeah. But to then like just rub your face in it with. Yeah, we're also making the libraries a, a, a jail now. Yeah. What the fuck? You know, those cool centers of learning that's like a safe place for you. Nope. Yeah. Ugh, I was a library lurker in high school. So <laughs> <laughs> this hits home. Uh, I definitely, you know, peruse the graphic novel section and just like. I spent some lunch periods in the library. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it. I was a library <laughs> aide. I was a library aide, too. It was great. You could do your <laughs> homework. And I loved reshelving books. That was a great pleasure of mine. It was good. Yeah. Houston's mayor, Sylvester Turner, condemned the district's move and said the solution is obviously not this. This sucks. This is insane. Yeah. You're just fucking creating kid prison, which a lot of, like, schools can already be kid prison so you're just making it even more fashy yeah and you know that's to varying degrees some you know different schools are more restrictive than others and then you also have your discipline like actual like your iss your in-school suspension stuff that can be you know just bad or really oppressive and there was a pro publica story that exposed some school district up in illinois that was like Locking kids up in a room, basically. Yeah, yeah. Basically doing, like, fucking solitary or some yeah, shit. Yeah, Oh, my God. One time I got sent to ISS for not tucking in my shirt. Um, and <laughs> so what I did, uh, she didn't escort me or anything, so I just walked around the building once and then, like, 
went on my way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you got caught, you could say... I was trying to learn. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost. I just decided uh, to go to class and learn stuff. I, I thought maybe that would be a better use of my time. <laughs> uh, so, Texas, a great place um, mm-hmm. for students. Good and normal place to live. Also a great place if you enjoy pollution oh you know i love it i eat it for fuel (laughs) i uh, am the solution to climate change just send them out there to (laughs) 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 yeah just pac-man it all up Mm -hmm. there was a story in the texas tribune that caught my eye recently uh by dylan bedore uh and it's a story about the one mile rule what's that you ever heard about this Mm. Walking a mile sucks. That's my rule. <laughs> well, I would be surprised if you had heard about it because it does not exist. Okay. But it is routinely used by Texas's environmental regulator, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. Oh, uh, I bet that industry's captured. Oh, it's captured. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, this, this rule that does not exist and that they will tell you does not exist has nevertheless been used by them. To claim that people who are bringing forth challenges to, like, issuing pollution permits and stuff, to, to say, no, you can't bring a challenge. Well, because they live a mile away. But if the, the informal rule here that, again, not a thing. Not a real rule. Says that anyone who does not live within a mile of the polluting <gasps> thing in question uh, cannot bring a challenge. <laughs> Before this uh, commission. Man, I'm so glad that environmental impact only happens within one mile of the source. Yeah, it's just like super dense air, like right there around it. It sucks when you have to pass through the like the fog uh, cube that surrounds the (laughs) industrial plant. But, you know, the the pay is pretty good there. So I deal with it. Yeah, I just, I wear a mask, you know, it's fine. Yeah, I I put on my little hazmat suit and I get into the goop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so this story i love it it's so exhaustive i cannot go through all of it um mm-hmm. but it just repeatedly like hammers them it's like here's another instance where this happened and oh. they they have them like quoted here because the whole thing is that when they asked the commission about this uh the commission's like oh no 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 Our, their lawyers say there's not a one mile test like that's not the quote. The commission has never adopted a one mile policy, says TCEQ spokesperson <sighs> Laura Lopez. Instead, the commission applies all factors set out in statute and rules, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, uh-huh. it, and it says, yeah, this is not codified in Texas law or TCEQ rules, but it goes. It appears consistently in their opinions going back at <gasps> least 13 years as a means to restrict challenges. So it's just like a, a boilerplate excuse, but it's not official. It's not official in any way, and but it's not. I don't. It's not boilerplate. It is like. Well, yeah, I guess what I mean. Like everyone uses it. Right. They. They. The. The commission explicitly uses this and has even published things in its decisions saying that it uses this. God. But is now telling everyone that no, they do not use this. Wow. So a couple of egregious examples, Uh, because so the whole reason this is a big deal, I think we should say first, is that uh. U.S. law requires that states provide citizens with the opportunity to challenge pollution permits in federal court. That's like Clean Air, Clean Water Act says 
if your state is going to, and states are in charge of enforcing this, if your state is going to issue a pollution permit to oil company A, they have to allow citizens to challenge that in court. Uh, And the rules regarding who can do that are laid out in Article 3 of the literal U.S. Constitution. (laughs) Okay. So it's like a straight-up constitutional law Uh thing. Um, It says, where federal law is concerned, requirements for access to judicial review, this whole process of challenging it. That's Article 3. And it says, when states are in charge of this, of enforcing federal law, they may not impose limits beyond what the Constitution says. So Yeah, and the Constitution doesn't have a fucking one-mile rule. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. That's not there. The EPA laws for Clean Air, Clean Water Act doesn't say anything about a one-mile rule. Yet, That'd here the state has imposed this extra screening this process for getting people out of this. Wow. Yeah, so there's there's some crazy examples of this that, like, just put blood on their hands for it. Like, it's just, like, obvious what they're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, this one. (laughs) It appears in writing as far back as 2010 when 36 people challenged a permit renewal for a gas processing plant in northeast Texas. Give me a city name. It does not say, but let me see. Wrote the executive director. Oh, I can find it. Okay, okay. Uh, Sorry. I I got a soft spot for that neck of the woods. One time someone said they were from east Texas and they said Houston. And I was like, that's incorrect. (laughs) That's not close. (laughs) That's not it. I was like, okay. Uh, I guess you mean Southeast, but okay. Uh, in Eustace, in Henderson County. I know Henderson. I don't know Eustace, but I know Henderson. I don't know if, I don't think Henderson is in Henderson County. Oh, that's confusing. I don't think so. (laughs) Where is Henderson? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Now I'm just curious now. Uh, it's, uh, this is where Athens is. Oh, I know Athens. I did some math and science meets there. It's in Rusk County. Okay. Rusk about risk yeah people were complaining about odorous hydrogen sulfide gas coming from the facility's Oof. flares that can't be good for you so 36 people challenge it the the executive director of the commission the environmental commission the guys in texas in charge of regulating this says the executive director is generally determined that hearing requesters who reside greater than one mile from the facility are not likely to be impacted differently than any other member of the general public. Uh, for this permit application, me? the executive director's staff has determined that no requesters are located within one mile of the proposed facility. Are you kidding? Stink travels more than one fucking mile, dude. Well, here, I just love it. You put it in writing and said, <laughs> this is what, you know, it's one mile and they're not in one mile. So reject it. We can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. The lovely fellow who did this, Mark Vickery, uh, is now... Well, what do you think his, his uh, employment situation is now? Uh, does he work in the gas refinement industry? He's just about as good. He works as a lobbyist for the Texas Association of Manufacturers. Oh, guillotine. Guillotine. Uh, definitely, yeah. There will be no lobbyists <laughs> under communism. Uh, so, yeah, they rejected everybody. Um, all requests for a contested case hearing are hereby denied, wrote then TCEQ chair... Brian Shaw, who is now doing what? Mm, I bet a similar job. Very similar. He's also a lobbyist. He's for the Texas <laughs> Oil and Gas Association. Okay. And so, yeah, this is just a rule of thumb that exists that is denied by 
the Texas um, Environmental Commission. There's this one example of a Lutheran church. Uh, there are 16 members of their church that's next to a gas-fired power plant in their tiny town. They requested a hearing, and the uh, <laughs> the commission said, like, wrote it in the thing about the one-mile limit, and said, yeah, the church is within one mile of the proposed facility, but the request does not claim that any person resides at the church. <gasps> So oh my god. So even the one mile thing doesn't work. Yep. Cause oh, oh but you're not literally there. This is insane. Like, uh, there's so many levels. Like that's that's feels like the interior level of insane. But like even, you know, saying, okay, you know, what if the company came out and said, Oh, well, they're not harmful, you should still not have to live next to a stink factory. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> And then just your, like, your local, your state government says, yeah, that's fine. They can do that. To that's you. cool. It's not a problem. This one is a little college throwback here to the Bryan College Station area. Oh, what's going on over there? In 2017, the commission received 16 hearing requests from people in that area because they were St. Gobain Ceramics and Plastics was going mm. to build a facility there in Bryan. And... Uh, the people who complained, none of them lived within the one mile radius, but included in this uh, suit was Bryan Independent School District because <gasps> they had an elementary school. But, you know, the kids don't live there. We haven't solidified I, kid jail enough to so, have full time. So I- I'm inmates. surprised. I'm surprised they didn't do that. <laughs> and my reasoning was maybe like they never whoever's on the commission, they didn't see like their teachers in public. So they still think that their teachers live at the school. <laughs> or something maybe maybe because they had one Teach jane bots. long intermediate school was within the one mile radius and so they denied everyone else a request and they granted the school district's request because they were within the mile interesting and then later they actually the company and the school district reached a settlement but to mm. do, like when they published their like the permit and the reasoning for denying people stuff yeah yeah they published a satellite map a Bryan College Station and they put like the plant they outlined it in blue the facility they drew a one mile radius thing on it I'm, I'm going to send you this thing because it's ridiculous yeah, yeah. but they like spelled it out we use the one mile rule with this picture they put little flags for all the schools <gasps> they put little dots for the requesters yeah they, they just told you. crazy. Right? <laughs> we do this. And now they're saying, oh, because our lawyer said we constitutionally can't do this. Uh, now they're saying, oh, no, no, no. Hey. We, we. That's just a reference. <laughs> I just felt like drawing a circle. Yeah, it is. Whoa. That's what we're working with here down in Texas. Jesus Christ. And, wow. And it's completely captured. I mean. Yeah, there's no one to stop them. The only hope really seems to be the EPA. Some environmental groups have filed a couple of petitions uh, to the EPA, one in 2021 and one in 2022, about the commission's, like, shittiness here. TCEQ is, like, you know, putting itself in between people's right to to have a hearing about this. They're not, like, they're, they're not, like, having the hearing and, and sabotaging it or something. They're just, like, denying it based on secret rules that don't actually exist made up rules that's insane so wow the article kind of goes on to say yeah epa technically could do something about this 
they they said that they were quote informally investigating the allegations, which I don't know. What you know, that means. the really robustly funded and not at all in trouble EPA that yeah. has lots of time and resources on its hands. Sure, yeah. When are they going to actually do that? That was back in 2021. <laughs> you know, and they'll get around to it. Yeah. Uh, but by then, North Korea will have taken over. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so they can handle it. We'll get um, <laughs> the Kims on the case. Yeah. Wow. That's bonkers. Yeah. So if you're out there and they give you like that air pollution warning thing on your weather app, <laughs> if you're not within one mile of the stuff, I mean, you're good. You're fine. I just deep breaths, man. Inhale that shit. Snort it. <laughs> yeah. No worries. <laughs> Go Kirby on it, man. <laughs> uh, wow. So completely messed up. And not just to complain, I guess, but... You know, how would we do that differently to tie it back into what we should be mm. our theme is uh, the people are going to be in control of this rather than some industry assholes. We were talking about democracy in the workplace. That would include people, workers, you know, workers at these facilities and stuff. They're being built. They want jobs, but they also don't really. Most of them good ones don't want to be like breathing in bad shit. I mean, their kids live there, too. You know? Yeah. And also they work there. <laughs> yeah. And so people are going to like, that's, that's going to be one of these things that no matter what tendency you look at, people are going to be able to just by virtue of that democratic, you know, small D impulse of actually controlling their workplaces are going to be able to solve these problems. And to the extent that they can't, right. If for some, you know, you have some industries and stuff where it's like, yeah, well it's, you know, we would prefer to pollute because it's going to be better for our jobs or something well then the community is going to step in the whole yeah like hey cut that shit out right yeah and you're going to find other ways to do things that are more sustainable because you know because it boils down to why do we have why are we trashing our earth it's because some people a few people are in charge and decide fuck it i'm gonna litter everywhere and it's you know i'll be dead it's it's okay i'm 86 yeah, yeah. Like. <laughs> this is convenient for me right now and i'm gonna make a butt ton of money off of it so fuck it yeah and if that's not the case if you actually have everybody who has a stake in living on this planet together actually making the decisions then you're going to have a cleaner situation you know yeah yeah i mean how many times do you hear environmental arguments just completely shut down by by cost and it's like yeah. that what greater cost is there than the fucking earth that we live on? Yeah. <laughs> that seems pretty expensive considering we haven't found an alternative yet. Yeah. Can we afford it? And basically everybody knows that, you know, in, in the medical example, when you're dying, you can afford anything. Mm -hmm. You won't actually pay it back. Maybe, you know, you just put it on your credit <laughs> card and call it a day. And, and yeah, yeah. You'll go into bankruptcy. Yeah. But, you're going to do what you got to do because it's your life. There's no question at that point. And that's where we're at with the fucking climate. Yeah, we have to do that. And people who sit around and say, what about the cost? The cost is far cost cheaper. Cost to whom? Cost yeah. to whom? Well, is my yeah, I think you're right there because as a whole, it's easy to see the cost is far cheaper to just, you know, buckle down and do it to save everyone. Mm -hmm. But if you're saving other people and other people's kids, then suddenly it's not worth it. Well, I mean, cost to whom is in like, you know, it's the shareholders, it's the CEOs, it's all the fucking asshats. Uh, yeah, I was meaning like some of these fuckers think they're going to survive this, 
right? And so oh, when they say okay. cost to whom, they're saying, I ain't, I'm not on the sinking ship that you are. I'm going to be gone. <laughs> I'm going to be in space or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, they're, they're death-defying. People are so scared of, of these kinds of things saying, well, the cost could go up t- for me, you know, like this, if I, we switch to like, you know, totally organic food production, uh, and obviously that's a loaded term, but, um, you know, they'll say, well, now food is more expensive. It's like, it doesn't fucking have to be. <laughs> Like, guess who's doing, guess who is not going to help you out in that department at all? The capitalists, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. They're the ones charging the prices. Yep. It's their <laughs> fault. And it's the system's fault. Yeah, yeah. The, you know. Yeah. They're doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I do sometimes try to grapple with this and I find myself in different places on it based on my mood, I don't know, based on something, but of like, to what extent I want to feel that individual capitalists and stuff are in some degree evil. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they are choosing to do a pretty, they could just not like, they could take a big chunk of their money that they've already, you know, bled people to get and just like quit and yeah. start being good. But they don't, you know? And so it's like, yeah, the system is the one that's pushing them to make these decisions and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is, and I think this goes along with the myth of of charity and stuff like that, is they convince themselves that they're still doing something good. And they they tell themselves that. Like, very few people actually can come to the realization of like, oh, I'm the bad guy. Right. So, I think they're just all, and we have a culture that supports that. So, I think they're like, oh, I'm making jobs and I'm giving back and yeah, blah, blah, blah. True. So, it's fine if I do this. Like, they can justify it a million times. Yeah, because that's the common sense. That's the, like you said, the, like, the culture says, like, extols those virtues. Make, make a lot of yourself so you can give back and whatever. And even, like, kind of on a logical level, if they do this, another fucker's going to take their place. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, I, I guess I know that. But then how can, you know, if... I think the thing is that they just don't realize that they're the bad guys. Like there's so much, I don't know, cognitive dissonance override that they're like, yeah. no, but I'm, I'm good. And so, and you know, society tells me I'm good cause I'm creating jobs. And so they never mm-hmm. get to that point. Like we're the crazy people. Like we're the ones <laughs> with the, they live glasses that are like, holy shit, the capitalists are actually bad. Like almost, <laughs> you know, so many people in society, they may feel in their gut that like things are unfair but they don't actually think like the the regular person who makes a lot of money. That there's is bad. a person responsible for this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it gets to a point where like you kind of you suspect them of either having to know or having to be extremely delusional. Like when it gets to like you know the the top percent of wealth, where it's just like, yeah, you're bonkers, man. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of people in that that other quadrant of like, yeah, they're really rich. Maybe they aren't like... Well, is it the, the $50,000 millionaire or something? That you yeah, said? exactly. Like that kind of <laughs> shit of like, yeah. The car like, dealership kinda, owner. Exactly. You kind of suck. Like you're a boss. You're definitely a class enemy. But you're also not the one like single-handedly sinking the earth into ruin. Yeah, but... You're their laptop. I mean, you, you support yeah, them. you're on the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> the spectrum of shit. <laughs> I guess we can call it there. Um, things aren't really better this week, except for the UPS thing. That was a good... The UPS thing, I liked it. So, and... The Grindr thing was pretty good, too. Yeah, there's, they seem to be doing well in their unionization efforts, so solidarity to them. Great job. Keep it up. 
Go get yourself a spooky lover mask. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to do a reread of um people's history. Yeah, me too. Maybe we'll read it together, do a book club on it. Ooh, yeah. That's gonna be a long book club. That's a long ass book. That's like a couple of episodes we or something. We could do one by chapter. Something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean I'm down for a new series. That'd be kinda cool. We should do more series because it lets us go down a rabbit hole for longer and like flesh things out more. And it helps us not have to think of new ideas more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say this to someone who's looking at the upcoming episode list like, ah, fuck, we got to have another planning session soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so we're Marxism, Leninism, Lazyism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Speaking of series and recurring bits and episode types, next week is a listener Q&A. Ooh, all right. We did well to... To come up with that segment. That was a good one. I like that one. <laughs> this is our, our summer sesh. Uh, so send in your questions. We probably won't get to them for this episode because just the way our release schedule works. But we will be going back to see who has emailed us since the previous Q&A. It's confusing. Get in the line. Oh, you're not yeah. going to regret it. Yeah, It'll be fine. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. If yours is cooler, then yeah, it kind of gets really bumped cool up. Yeah, it's a really cool question. You know, yeah, if we honest. like it. Um, <laughs> But you're right about the release schedule is that we're probably not going to get that would be weird if we maybe if I see a really cool one come in like Thursday, Friday, I might slip it into the list. We'll see. Okay. (laughs) It's got to be a good question. Yeah. Competition, guys. It's that's what we're all (laughs) about here. It's the free market of ideas, guys. Yeah. The marketplace of ideas. That's where you need to be defeating the fascists in. I couldn't even fake capitalism for a second. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's how communist you are oh thank god <laughs> all right all righty catch you then yeah all right bye bye hey there comrades just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media we are on twitter at teach communism instagram at teach me communism you can shoot us an email that's teach me communism at gmail.com any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.